Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Episode 168 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques here with you once again to talk about the Knicks and the NBA offseason as we continue to get closer to the start of a new NBA campaign. Hope you're doing well. Middle of September. It's amazing how quickly time flies Pretty good amount of stuff to get to this week. I feel like it's been a weird off season in the fact that it's almost been like a roller coaster. Some weeks we haven't had much to talk about, and other weeks it has been rocking and rolling as far as the news coming our way. This one's a little bit in the middle. We'll talk a little bit about the status of the Knicks off season. We'll actually talk a good amount. About it, There are some rumors about potential player acquisitions. We'll tell you the latest about what the Knicks might do with Julius Randle and what that could mean for the upcoming season with the Knicks as well. A few other Knicks topics to get to. We'll also get to the punishment that Suns owner Robert Sarver has received as well. So there's plenty to get to on the show this week. So we'll jump in and we'll start with the Knickerbockers as we always do around here. And we begin with a little bit of Monday morning quarterback uh, of the Donovan Mitchell trade. I thought this was really interesting. Um, Michael Scotto of Hoops Hype and Knicks beat writer Stefan Bondi shared a little bit of the BTS, if you will, not the uh, K-pop supergroup, but uh, some behind the scenes of what went down and what might have happened during the Knicks, Cavs, and Jazz trade negotiations, which end up seeing the Jazz trade Donovan and Mitchell to Cleveland. So I want to look into this a little bit with all of you. I'm, I'm sure if you missed it, you'd be interested in learning a little bit more about it. I was interested in reading through some of it. And I got to be honest, I feel a little even better about the way the Knicks handled the situation than I did last week and I felt pretty good about it last week with all due respect so 
a couple of the the things that jump off the page right away essentially is that they were I guess we'll start with this, right? Again, both um Scotto and Bondi comment on these different areas of discussion when it comes to the trade talks. Number one, Knicks were in a very good place, as we talked about, to get Donovan Mitchell. And the the basically the the train of thought here is they're not sure when the Cavs jumped in, but before they jumped in, it was really just the Knicks that the Jazz were willing to get a deal done with. So the Knicks were in very, very good shape. And, and we had talked about this many times, right? So we don't need to necessarily dwell on that. But basically, Bondi and Scotto both agreed that this deal was at the two-yard line. The Knicks were very close to getting this done. The Knicks wanted to get this done. There was some speculation that you know th- this was just a move and the Knicks were not going to... You know, they didn't they didn't hold Donovan Mitchell in high esteem or high esteem as some people thought. They did. They wanted him. This was going to happen if they were going to get it done. They were very close to doing so. Right? Now the Cavs jump in at some point and the Jazz do the deal. One of the things mentioned in the article that I thought was very interesting was speculation, but interesting nonetheless. When the Cavs jumped in, and again, we don't know when they actually jumped in here. That's not confirmed. But depending on when they jumped in, some of the interesting parts here include the fact that it seems like, again, this depends on when the, when the Cavs jumped in, which is up for debate. The Jazz took the Cavs deal potentially without going back to the Knicks to try to get them to up the offer. Now, if that's true, and again, this is speculation, but there's some reason to believe that that's a possibility here, depending on when the Cavs jumped in, right? We had talked about that a a long time ago and multiple times that the Jazz were going to go around to different teams in the NBA to try to drive up the Knicks' offer. Right, And basically the thought here from Bondi in particular is that if that's true, if the Cavs jumped in the time that some people think they jumped in, which again, not confirmed, why wouldn't they go back to the Knicks and say, this is what Cleveland's going to give us. We're probably going to take it unless you guys up the offer. You know, that is... A really interesting one. The Knicks could have given the Jazz a better offer by all accounts. And if you believe the prior statements here, the Knicks were going to do it. The Knicks were going to pull the trigger. And this is what I was saying last week. It feels like Cavs gave up a lot. You know, and and you could say, well, the Knicks... It's a good thing the Knicks didn't give up some of those unprotected picks. You could argue they need them more than the Cavs do. However, you look back at Utah and you go, was that the best deal you could have gotten? The Knicks were, were, were waiting there for you to respond. And instead of going back to them and saying, well, we're probably going to go with the Cavs unless you guys can give us a little bit more. And again, the Knicks were not far off from giving the Jazz 
a fair enough offer to get this done. An offer looking back based on what we're told here. Knicks wouldn't have given up the farm here. The Knicks would not have given up the farm to get this done. They would have given up a lot, but not as much as we had indicated last week. So it still would have been more than what the Cavs gave to get this done, but not as much as we would have thought. Yeah, and Some of these things with Grimes being a deal breaker, RJ Barrett, things of that nature, the picks were the big problem. And protection on the picks were the issue as, as to why the Knicks ended up not getting this deal done. On top of that, the Jazz may have pulled the trigger a little early here. According to Bondi, there's a very good chance here that Utah dropped the ball and didn't go back to the Knicks to try to get a little bit more, which they probably would have gotten. And if they had done that, it seems like, you know, educated guess here, Knicks probably get the deal done. So it's actually a little bit of a miscue by Utah in a certain realm of possibility here. So I thought that was very, very interesting. In the end, if the Jazz go back and they force the Knicks' hand, Knicks give up the little bit extra that's needed, and they probably sign, or sign, I beg your pardon, trade and get Donovan Mitchell, and the Cavs miss out. Very interesting. I thought that was a very interesting little tidbit based on some Knicks rumors and some speculation, but also some some facts and context clues to kind of figure that out. The R.J. Barrett side of this is also touched upon. Um, according to, to Bondi, there's a few different trains of thought here on how that went down. Um, R.J. Barrett gets the contract extension. Apparently the Jazz valued the contract they got with Colin Sexton more than what they would have had to do to pay R.J. Barrett. That's, again, from from Bondi's point of view in this uh, Yahoo Sports article. That was apparently a big part of the trade negotiations. And again, we've talked about this. There could have been a path to getting this deal done with the Barrett extension, but if Barrett was going to be part of the deal they would have actually liked Colin Sexton's contract a little bit better because they're trying to stay under the luxury tax. So that would have been very difficult, you know? But it depends on who you ask around the league, according to to Scotto's point of view here, which is that, again, these are two writers that looked into this and, and, and got some responses and some sources to give them an idea of what was going on behind the scenes. This part is interesting because some people look at Barrett as a bigger prospect moving forward, more you know of a higher ceiling than Colin Sexton. Others don't. So this is more of a personal preference kind of a thing. And Scotto was saying that he's also not sure if Utah really wanted R.J. Barrett as part of this deal at all costs. There was a way, and this is what I was saying the whole time, that R.J. Barrett could be part of this deal, but it's not, what's the right word? It's not vital to have him as part of the deal from a Utah point of view. They could have gotten this deal done without him. The picks 
the picks were the biggest part of this because again and this should be reiterated for those you know that didn't look into this the whole time weren't following it the jazz want the picks the most when you look at the rudy gobert trade and even what they got back for uh from cleveland young players yes but picks more importantly that's how danny ainge does his business in rebuilding franchises he goes with picks. So those were those were the golden nuggets he was after. Those were the pieces he really wanted. And the Knicks had the most of them of interested teams. Again, we talked about this. It's a brief point, but OKC technically has the most, but they weren't interested. The Knicks were the most interested team with the most picks. So that's why the Knicks were the front runners here for a long time. And then potentially Utah drops the ball here and could have gotten a little bit more out of the Knicks and gotten the best deal from the Knicks. Because again, there's for Cleveland, there was a point of no return potentially here. And instead of trying to push this further, the Jazz just took the deal. That potentially, that is a big mistake potentially as far as actually, again, forget about the future and what it means for the Cavs and the Knicks and stuff like that. Just as far as getting the most in a trade, the Utah Jazz might have misplayed this a little bit. So I'm very curious to see how that goes, how that looks going forward. The Quentin Grimes stuff was also interesting as well. I, I you know, both teams, Jazz and Knicks, were haggling over it um, as well, and the Knicks in the end, we're not going to let him go. So it, it that one is an interesting one too. Again, the Barrett stuff is is one of those things where um, it, it seems like they wanted Grimes a little bit more than Barrett because Grimes is younger, more manageable contract, a player they can mold, which is what Danny Ainge wanted, but the Knicks... Like Quentin Grimes, they like him a lot going into his sophomore season, the draft pick out of Houston. So that was also a big talking point of this trade. And that's why Barrett's name came up as well. So that that's a really, that's a really interesting one as well. Now, this is another, this kind of, that. by the way, that's basically it. That's basically the whole uh, behind the scenes of what happened. In my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts as always at SJ7 on Twitter, postingandtoasting.com comments section. Two best places to share your thoughts on this. Very curious here because, again, right? I, I, I still, I think this almost hammers at home. Knicks handled this very well. They did all they could do. The Jazz... In the end, and again, we're just talking from a business transactional standpoint, may have, may have misplayed this deal a little bit. Why not go back to the Knicks and, and say, listen, Cleveland has given us this offer. We're probably going to take it, but we want to see if you can do better. They just took the deal and they didn't look back. Very puzzling in a way when you know that that information potentially 
led one thing to another and led to the deal getting done between Utah and Cleveland. The Knicks were waiting for the call back, it sounds like. It sounds like the Knicks were on the line. And instead of Utah, I mean, the, the, clearly they had rigged, you know, again, there was a couple of times where, where the talks faltered, but the Knicks were essentially waiting for the call back. And the Jazz next call would have basically said, if you give us this, we'll get the deal done. And the Knicks were likely going to acquiesce and get it done. But the call was never made and the Jazz get it done with Cleveland. Very odd when you know a little bit about those behind the scenes. It's very interesting. Very interesting. Not much the Knicks can do there. The Knicks... In the end, we're unlucky to to not get this deal done. And again, we can talk about it from a basketball standpoint why it benefits the Knicks uh, not to do it and benefits the Cavs to do it more than it would the Knicks. But just from a strictly transactional business boardroom standpoint, Cleveland gets a little lucky here that the Jazz didn't go back to the Knicks. Because if they did, I don't think Cleveland gets Donovan Mitchell. I think I think I think we're sitting here today talking about Donovan Mitchell as a Nick. Very interesting. I I found that very fascinating, and I'm curious your thoughts. Again, let me know on Twitter at SJ7, postingandtoasting.com in the comments section, or you can go to to the Posting and Toasting Twitter account, and from there you can comment on the post that we have every week and uh leave a comment you can leave a comment there on twitter because i'm tagged in all of the posts i will see it from there as well really quick because i got to write an article about it this week on posting toasting.com big shout out to walt clyde frazier making it again into the basketball hall of fame this time as a broadcaster getting the kurt gowdy award for excellence in media what a career he's had as a broadcaster. For those that um, that watch the Knicks games on MSG Network, Clyde has been a huge part of it for years. Um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this before on this podcast, but I used to intern and then work for MSG Networks as an as an intern in the production department, and then as a production assistant for a couple of years out of college and. Got to work with and meet Clyde a couple of times, uh, you know, mostly in passing, but got to work on a shoot. I don't know if anyone even remembers this from, I think it was 2017. They, uh, he debuted the Santa Clydes, his Puma shoe, uh, and did some MSG Network uh, Christmas, uh, you know, Christmas things going back through Nick's moments during the Christmas holiday season. Uh, got to be part of that shoot in Harlem. Uh, very close to the Apollo. It was very cool, very fun experience. Um, and there's been a few times around the office where I got to, you know, briefly interact with Clyde. And I think Mike Breen, and I mentioned this in the article that I wrote, just talks about, and Mike Breen's the play-by-play, main play-by-play broadcaster for the Knicks on MSG and obviously the ESPN NBA Finals main broadcaster as well. How hard Walt Clyde Frazier works as a broadcaster, how it mirrored his work ethic as a player as well and it shows on the broadcasts you know as someone who gets to do this as as a play-by-play broadcaster for a living 
Clyde is someone who is a dream analyst to work with. And it's not just because he is flashy with his language and is so poetic with the basketball lexicon and dictionary that he has contributed to, but he's also so good at just breaking down the game. It takes so much time to get to that point in any sport as an analyst. And he's been doing it for so long. He was on the radio, then worked into his way onto the TV side. He's had decades to perfect his craft, and he's one of the best around at doing it. And the fact that he gets to go into the Hall of Fame a second time as a player, now as a broadcaster, I... There's not many bigger legends in the NBA, and there's certainly not many, if any, bigger Knicks legends out there. And just New York sports legends, there's not many that are in Clyde's class. You know, you look around and you know you throw maybe a Derek Jeter, a Mariano Rivera in there. Giants-wise, Manning, Strahan, you know, some people, at least on the field-wise, put in Lawrence Taylor, things of that nature. Not many, man. Not many match up with Clyde, you know, head-to-head. So, as far as impact, legacy, and standing in New York sports and professional sports in general as well. So, I wanted to give a shout-out to him. I don't know if he even listens to the podcast, but he's someone I've had the chance to interact with in the past a few times. Great person. And just as good of a broadcaster and obviously a tremendous Hall of Fame player as well. What a career and what a legacy on the court and now off the court. We'll take a break. When we come back, are the Knicks interested in Shea Gilgis Alexander? And Robert Sarver gets punished by the NBA. Was it enough? for what he actually did. All that more is coming up next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast and on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Before we get to the Robert Sarver update with the Phoenix Suns and the punishment that has been laid out uh, from the NBA and and all of that, um, I do want to touch on a little bit of a rumor that has been spreading at least the last couple of days here. Um, I want to get to the latest. We'll get to the latest on Julius Randle. We'll get to the latest on Robert Sarver in a second, but... I do want to touch on the Shea Gilders Alexander stuff. Mark Berman of the New York Post has reported that Shea Gilders Alexander is a possible player the Knicks might target um, moving forward. Uh, This was a very interesting situation. Um, Michael Scotto, who we just mentioned of Hoops Hype, he refutes the report. 
that the Knicks are targeting Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, this one is a it, it's a weird fit because the Knicks now have Jalen Brunson on the team. So if the Knicks had completely flopped and messed up everything at the draft and then not gotten Jalen Brunson, it makes a little bit more sense. But I don't know if it does with Jalen Brunson there. Now, I know that Shea Gilders Alexander is a young player. Could they potentially play together? It's definitely possible. I just, it's a weird time to be seeing this. And now, obviously, OKC, would you would think, would want to keep him. So it would take a lot to get him as well. But one of the things that's being said, and this is from Mark Berman and then uh, refuted by, um, by Scotto, essentially is that Chet Holmgren being hurt for the season is going to stunt the ability of OKC to win. However, Shea Gilders Alexander was signed to the extension for a reason. He's a building block for the team. So, and again, it's a five-year max deal that should keep him with the Thunder barring a trade until 2027. So, the Knicks could be interested, but I don't know if it's the right fit. I think that's up for debate. And I think the other part that's up for debate here is I don't think OKC's going to want to pull the trigger on this. So I just wanted to throw that one out there because it's an interesting one. Definitely one that I'm I'm glad that, you know, I've made you guys aware of because it's it's one to think about. But I think in the end, I don't I don't think the Knicks could do this one, whether from an OKC perspective or a. I don't know if Jalen Brunson and Shea Gilders Alexander are exactly the right fit. And again, that has to be coupled with the fact that you thought the Knicks had to give up a lot for Donovan Mitchell. OKC would be literally giving up their future if they were to make this deal happen. And and listen, I love SGA as a player. Tremendous future player in the NBA. But the Knicks... You're looking at quite the haul here. If you're, I mean, for for all the unprotected and protected picks that they were potentially going to give to Utah, up the ante a little bit. That's probably where the Knicks are looking in a potential move here. So that's another thing to consider in a potential move to get this deal done. It's really it's really an odd situation, and one that I don't think will end up happening. But I figured I'd mention it because it's gotten some traction the last forty eight hours or so. One last Knicks topic before we dive into the Robert Sarver situation. Again, Stefan Bondi was talking about the future and really this season with the Knicks. And there's been, I guess, rumors and speculation that the Knicks might consider trading Julius Randle. And that has been a talking point for a good chunk of the offseason. By the way, it's been a decent chunk of the offseason with or without Donovan Mitchell being in the fold. 
that the Knicks would potentially trade Julius Randle. It sounds like, according to Bondi, that the Knicks are going to give this a try with Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and Julius Randle on the same team. Now, there was consideration that Obi Toppin would get more of an opportunity, but that doesn't seem like it's going to be the case right away for the New York Knicks. My comment on that is pretty simple. From my point of view, my thoughts on it are that if you get Donovan Mitchell, in my opinion, there is almost no way you trade Julius Randle right now. I think that that team's good enough to challenge for the top five in the East. The Knicks didn't get Donovan Mitchell. So you might be thinking, well, then you think that they should trade Julius Randle. I still don't. I still don't. This is a team, because of all you got, all you did to get Jalen Brunson, that needs to be competing to get into the play-in slash the playoffs. For this upcoming season to be successful, the Knicks have to be in the play-in, in my opinion. They've got to be there. I don't know what the the threshold is after that. I really don't. This team, we got to see them play before we're talking about how deep the the Knicks should go in the postseason. But if I had to say right now, I, I think if you win a play-in game and then get into the 7 or 8 spot, I think the Knicks would take that. I really do. They'd probably get bounced in the first round, but I think the Knicks would take that. So we'll see. I, I think in the end, you have to keep Julius Randle at least until the trade deadline to see if this would work, to see if this could work moving forward Julius Randle two years ago was an all-star and still had a decent season last year statistically, despite at times being a turnover machine and a liability on the offensive end of the floor. Now that there's a point guard in place, I know I'm curious to see if Julius Randle gets somewhere near where he was two years ago. I really am. I said that when Jalen Brunson was brought in. That combination along with having another year under the belt of R.J. Barrett, certainly doesn't give the Knicks a big three, but it gives the Knicks three really good pieces out on the floor to work with and makes this season somewhat exciting still. I know that missing out on Donovan Mitchell is a bit of a blow at the end of the offseason in the grand scheme, right? But for the short term... I still like the team and and still I'm looking forward to watching them play in the opening weeks of the season and seeing what they can do, right? And, And seeing what can be improved upon. Because again, I think the Knicks will definitely have a better record than last season as well now that Jalen Brunson is there. As long as, again, biggest thing for the Knicks, in my opinion, for a good chunk of this season is health. Can they stay healthy? And can the most important players on the team stay healthy? Then the Knicks become a bit of a threat in the East. If they don't, then anything can happen from there. But to be fair, that's with most teams. That's with most teams in the NBA. And the tough part is that not every team has the depth that a Golden State has or a Phoenix has in the West or a Milwaukee has or a um, maybe even a Boston has or 
a, uh, I mean, I'd even throw, uh, to a certain extent, Philly in there as far as depth. Miami's got good depth, even though they might not add any big players this offseason. So teams, you know, that get hurt are always tested. But can the Knicks still win some games while they're going through those tough times? That will be the difference in improving from this season compared to last season when we get into the time of the year, January, February, where it fell apart for the Knicks a season ago. That was the turning point of the season where every week we were coming on here and telling you how the Knicks season was in free fall because they just couldn't put quarters together. They just didn't have the depth or they were getting rough, rough performances from Julius Randle and company. I mean, there was a rough stretch that month for RJ Barrett. Nobody played well during February last season. And that ended up being the defining month of the Knicks season. So we'll see. We'll see, but I, I will say this. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I'm looking forward to, to the Knicks getting back into action next month. And we'll, and we'll see how it goes from there moving forward. Before we get out of here, big topic we haven't touched on yet with the Phoenix Suns and Robert Sarver, their owner. Quick recap of what's already taken place with that situation. Essentially, uh, Robert Sarver, based on multiple reports and investigation, was deemed to have made racist comments, including using the N-word towards employees, and you know, had misogynistic and inappropriate language being talked about in the workplace. Now, Amin Al-Hassan, who now works for Metal Arc Media, uh, on uh, the Dan Lebitard uh, show um, head, one of my favorite shows. I like listening to it when I'm doing work and things like that. I think I've mentioned it before. One of the reasons I also like listening to it is because of tidbits like the one I'm about to share to you, which is that Minel Hassan worked for the Suns under Robert Sarver and talked about some of the locker room talk, quote unquote, that was going on while Robert Sarver was there, thinking that if he talked like a player, he would fit in with the players. And that's why at times he would drop the n-word and question well why can't i say it so and so says it and not realizing how dumb that sounds how ignorant that is to say that you know or why can't an an opposing player said it on the court why can't i say it well you're not in a position to be able to do that and it's extremely inappropriate either way right and robert sarver Completely ignorant to that. I think that's putting it very, very mildly in my estimation. So there was misogynistic comments towards women in there as well. Just treating employees extremely ter- extremely poorly, terribly. And on top of that, um, just general ignorance of not realizing like the impact of what he's saying to people in his office and it all leading to a very toxic work environment. So Adam Silver came out earlier on the day of the podcast recording on Thursday and defended his decision to suspend Suns and Mercury governor, Robert Sarver. That's from, uh, uh, from an article that I've got here on, on MSN.com. Uh, so I, I just want to, mentioned this that 
essentially what's happened here is that Sam Garvin is now the interim governor of the team, while majority owner, owner Robert Sarver is on a one-year suspension. Some of the details here I think are really ridiculous uh, in the deal. I think there's a $10 million fine, which is, is, is pennies for someone like Robert Sarver. The other thing is, like, he apparently can't go into any NBA offices, can't go to any games, you know, can't be out in public. Is that really a punishment? I can see, like, you know, being away from the people that he hurt and criticized, or was, uh, sorry, not criticized, uh, but said inappropriate things to. Some of those people, I believe, still work for the Suns. So, yes, I get that. But, you know, he can't go into the office in New York. Okay, that's it? Like, that was kind of my initial thought. The other thing is, like, apparently he can't wear any NBA gear, any Suns gear, in public or in private, which I thought was unnecessary. Like, what, he can't... Robert Sarver can't wear a Suns nightcap to bed? Or, like, he can't wear Suns dare I say, sunglasses out on the golf course? Like, is Adam Silver going to be with him everywhere and saying, eh, you're going to have to hand that over to me. That's got our logo on it, Rob. Like, how stupid is that? There, there were total, there were other ways to be more impactful with punishment than saying, well, Rob, you can't do that in your own home and wear Phoenix Suns gear. Or we're going to crack down on you. That sounds ridiculous to me. I, I don't understand why that was part of it. Um, it seems, honestly, a little ignorant from the NBA. Like, what, you're going to check his security cameras to see if he's got Suns gear on? And then what are you going to do? Fine him, a, like, what, $50,000? Like, for him, who cares? <laughs> like, is it really that big of a deal like 10 million to him i believe is like less than one percent of his net worth if i remember correctly it's it's pennies to an nba owner in general let alone robert sarver and in my opinion and i'm curious to hear all of your thoughts on it as well not really a good enough punishment from the nba it doesn't really dissuade him from doing it going forward it's a slap on the wrist and nowadays where you see commissioners and i I always think of mlb's commissioner rob manford and the way he poorly handled the astros cheating scandal when you see teams and owners and coaches and even players getting let off for things that they should be punished more severely for this is one that really looks bad on the nba in my opinion it's not good enough It's not good enough for what Robert Sarver did to his own franchise and the people that help him run it. And in my opinion, on top of that, it actually looks more like Adam Silver lets Robert Sarver off here. It's almost like a warning more than actually a punishment. You know, I... I, The only analogy I can think of is a soccer analogy, so I apologize for those that that aren't as interested in it as I am. But if, if you watch soccer a lot, you see referees warn a player after a foul that, hey, another one and you're gonna get a yellow, mister or missus. And this feels like that. 
it doesn't even feel like Robert Sarver's been yellow carded here. He's just been saying, hey, that's not nice. That's not good enough. If you do that again, I'm going to suspend you for two years. And then you're really going to feel it. Punish him now. Punish him now harder than this. That's where that's where I come down on it. So let me know what you think. That That's really all I have on it. I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but... But to be fair, it deserves to be to be uh, analyzed here. This, to me, doesn't feel like it's enough. And I will say this, too. Um, Robert Sarver today, I think, is a little bit of a lucky man on top of getting a slap on the wrist that the Phoenix Suns are good. The Phoenix Suns are a good team. This is a team that just recently went to the NBA Finals. They had the best record in the NBA last season. And Amin Hassan mentioned this as well on the Levitard show. If this happened two years ago and all of this was coming out and punishment needed to be had and the Suns weren't good two or three years ago we're talking here, I don't think Robert Sarver is currently the owner of the Phoenix Suns or the Phoenix Mercury. And by the way, that's another reason why this looks awful for the NBA. Robert Sarver is also the owner of the Phoenix Mercury, the WNBA team. So not only were there racist comments made, but misogynistic comments made while you own a WNBA franchise. So it's a double whammy here. This looks even worse because of that. And forget about looking worse. It's plain old terrible. Regardless of public opinion. It's bad. From top to bottom. Let me make that very clear as well. I know sometimes we focus uh, a little bit also on how it looks for you know publicly. Public, court of public opinion. This is morally bad top to bottom. And... Robert Sarver is basically just said, hey, don't do that again. Take a year off, but don't do that again. That's not good enough. And for Adam Silver, who has had to deal with this before, does Donald Sterling ring a bell, LA Clippers? And handled that, I thought, much, much better. This is a bit of a step back for Adam Silver in this regard. Not a fan of it. And I think Robert Sarver, who doesn't deserve it, is a very lucky man today. Very lucky man. One last little mini topic, because I, I, I do want to say, I, I do a bad job sometimes of ordering the show. We always seem to end, end on a bad note. I don't know if that's me, uh, or, or maybe just uh, it happens from time to time. But we do tend to end sometimes with downer topics, and... I do know a lot of people that listen to the show skip around. They just go to the topics that they want to hear and then and then that's it. So I get that. And, and by the way, more power to you. Listen to the show however you want to listen to the show. Uh, you're not going to get an argument from me. But I did want to end on a little bit of a, a lighter note this week. Maybe it's just for my own sanity. <laughs> but uh, I did want to talk about the, the Michael Jordan jersey auction for the 1998 finals jersey uh, apparently, it sold for a record $10.1 million. Um, what I didn't realize until I looked this up is that Jordan wore the jersey 
in a loss. The Bulls lost game one of the finals that year against the Jazz. Now, the Bulls, obviously, Jordan was six for six, went on to win the series, but you're actually getting a jersey from a game the Bulls lost (laughs) in the finals for $10 million. You could, hey, you could cover Robert Sarver's fine. How about that? Um, Really, really crazy, uh, in my opinion. And it got me kind of thinking because I was talking to this with a uh, talking about this with a colleague yesterday before I was doing a uh, an NWSL broadcast um what's like that item that you'd pay anything to get sports item memorabilia item in general maybe something from a movie a TV show that you like a music video like something like that and I couldn't think of anything I really couldn't I mean, would it be cool to have a signed Patrick Ewing jersey from like game five of the 90, does it be the 94 finals? The 94 um, finals? Yeah, maybe. But they lost the series. So like, I probably would be like, eh, no thanks. It, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I don't know how I would, uh, how I'd go about it. Frankly, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I really am. Um, let me know what you think. Is there an item? Again, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be from a TV show, a movie, music video, TV show, whatever you think. Let me know. Is there, is there an item you'd pay? Like if you had $10 million, what's an item you'd buy for that amount of money that you'd want to keep a collectible, maybe even a car, a car that you really like something like that. I'm going, I'm always curious about things like that. At SJ7 on Twitter, postingandtoasting.com, or the Posting and Toasting Twitter account, if you want to weigh in on that or any of the topics we've talked about on the show this week. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening. Have a great week, and I will talk to you next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.